Welcome to Love, Words, and Poetry, a podcast that celebrates the connections that flow from love to words to poetry and back again. I'm Victoria Mary Thatch, a published poet. I'll be reading a few of my poems, pondering a word or phrase that intrigues me, and sharing some of the love letters my husband and I wrote over a period of 30 years that give insights into how we built a deeply loving and passionate marriage. I'll begin today with three short, rather dark poems that evoke fall, winter, and night, although I'm actually looking outside at a spring landscape of green hills and a waterfall of lilac wisteria pouring from the 50-foot-tall podocarpus tree in a corner of my yard. So we'll end with a little more upbeat poem after I've read all the other things. The first poem is from Snake River Reflections in January of 1992. Anger weaves a subtle gauze of justice till exposed, then sheds it in the cold and leaves a naked skin until the thaws begin. The second poem was published in Snake River Reflections in May of 1992. It was called Night in the Confederacy. I sit with Faulkner till my eyes blur and the autumn haze curling into mind with the dazed spell of all he drew entwines the calligraphic grays of printed words with twilight blue. Lured outside, I walk alone to feel the smoke of dying trees windy in my bones and the shading of the world and the slanting of the year slip hopeless as Eurydice toward horizontal days. The third poem was published in the Anthology of Prize-Winning Poems by New Horizons Poetry Club in 1993. The Fall. Fading to echo, a radiance of trees, blind rain dismembers memory. I acquiesce to moldering leaves and inhale my own mortality. Narcissus at the pool ponders beauty gone to seed, algae lashes, bracken brows, a sketch of fallen branches, fascination rusted into habit, perdition spreads like Greek valerian, obliterates mythology. The word for today is Eurydice from the poem Night in the Confederacy that I just read. The last verse reads, and the shading of the world and the slanting of the year slip hopeless as Eurydice toward horizontal days. Orpheus, the son of the Greek god Apollo and the muse Calliope, received a lyre from Apollo who taught him how to play. It had been said that nothing could resist Orpheus's beautiful melodies, 
neither enemies nor beasts. Orpheus fell in love with Eurydice, a woman of beauty and grace, whom he married and lived with happily for a short time. However, one day when Eurydice was dancing with the nymphs in the forest, she was bitten by a snake and died instantly. Orpheus sung his grief with his lyre and managed to move everything, living or not, in the world. Both humans and gods learned about his sorrow and grief. Orpheus decided to descend to Hades by music to see his wife. He managed to attract Cerberus, the three-headed dog, with a liking for his music, and finally presented himself in front of the god of the Greek underworld, Hades, and his wife, Persephone. Orpheus played with his lyre a song so heartbreaking that even Hades was moved to compassion. The god told Orpheus that he could take Eurydice back with him, but under one condition. She would have to follow behind him while walking out from the caves of the underworld, and he could not turn to look at her as they walked. Thinking it a simple task for a patient man like himself, Orpheus was delighted. He thanked Hades and left to ascend back into the living world. Unable to hear Eurydice's footsteps, however, he began to fear the god had fooled him. Only a few feet away from the exit, Orpheus lost his faith and turned to see Eurydice behind him sending her back to be trapped in Hades' reign forever. The love letters I'm sharing today were written when my husband and I were on a retreat weekend for married couples that led us into sharing deeper levels of our feelings, both in our letters and in talking about them after we'd read them. My dearest Wes, Your most endearing quality to me now is the way you are so aware of all aspects of the weekend. Before we came over from our room tonight, I was wondering what I could find to share on. We've really been working through a lot of difficult areas just on this weekend. I'm trying to think over other areas where we've shared to see if one of them might be appropriate here but nothing strong really seems to be emerging. Perhaps something that I haven't shared much with you about is my fear of dying before the girls are grown or before I've had time to really come into my own as a writer. They are two different feelings, but linked. As imperfectly as I do it, I still believe no one else could love the girls with a mother's love as I do. No other woman could have that tender and yet fiercely protective bond that I feel for them, so that if one of them is hurt even a little, I feel a stab in my stomach like a knife going through me. I fear, too, being forgotten by them or fading to just a hazy memory, especially for Julia, who would not remember how tenderly and passionately I loved all her little baby ways and how she taught me to slow down and just enjoy being with her. I fear being sort of phased out of your mind and heart too, as you went about the business of getting on with life, probably even more efficiently without me, and that what all of you, but especially the girls, would mostly remember 
would be how much time and energy I spent worrying about chores instead of loving you and appreciating you. One of my greatest fears is that when the kids grow up, they will look back and see a life filled with nagging about chores instead of the warm and loving home and childhood I want them to have. I feel a really deep sorrow and even grief at how I squander the time we have together and yet feel trapped by my habits so that I constantly revert to my nagging and yelling despite my best resolutions. I feel frustrated and confused. How do I balance my desire for them to be close to me with getting at least a minimum done around the house? I feel almost strangled by the force of my seemingly futile struggle to change. My feelings are like being entangled in a huge net, like a fly in a spider web. So the more I struggle, the worse it gets. I love you a lot, my lover. Forever yours, Vicki. And Wes wrote, Dearest Vicki, your most endearing quality to me right now is your trust in me. I'm just now kind of put together a bunch of things that had been troubling me and that I wanted to share with you this weekend and realized that they were probably all facets of one main feeling that I found very difficult to share with you. It's a little hard to describe, but I could call it a feeling of being out of control, the sense that my life and our life is spinning out of control. I see myself just reacting to events rather than initiating them, unable to get a handle on all the various things that are going on. It's like being in a class that's over your head. I feel somewhat panicky, but also lethargic, almost stunned, like being confronted with a big mess in the house and not knowing where to start. My mask of the in-control person makes it easy to see why this is such a difficult feeling for me to share. Yet so many facets of my life, the job search, Bonnie's surgery, your struggles with your mother, the kids' schedules, all combined with the withdrawal from not being in leadership, combine for the feeling of having lost control of my life. I've given up my exercise program and my daily prayer life. I'm biting my nails again, and some evenings almost seem to wander around in a daze. Sometimes I feel almost shell-shocked, and then I begin to hate myself for being so weak and undisciplined. I want to lean on you, but I fear that you can't support the weight. I try to channel my en energies by doing specific things around the house that you need done, but then I feel hemmed in and tied down. Yet not sharing these feelings with you has left me aimless and frustrated. I'm filled with a real sense of malaise. I know I need to trust in you and have confidence that you will accept my feelings and love me. I love you a whole lot. Always your Wes. These letters sound somewhat like the story of Eurydice or the poems, like rather negative things. But as we talked about them afterwards and learned to accept each other's feelings and get deeper into them, it actually drew us closer 
And as the weekend went on, we felt ourselves becoming more deeply in love, more committed to each other, and more committed to helping one another to discover what we could do about the feelings that we had and how we could change and make our lives even better together. My closing poem was published in My Legacy in 1991. To me, it fills a little description of spring and it sparkles with serendipity and synchronicity, words which may appear in future podcasts. Ellis Street, mislaid my plans, ignored the map and drove. A flock of geese march boldly in the road, so I must pause. Where have I been rushing in my asphalt way, charging from one scrub day to the next, with minutes mounted in regiments and hours in stern array? How dreary seems my old routine against this boisterous parade. May you have many boisterous days filled with happiness and spring serendipity and synchronicity.